Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus, it's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Joe, and I'm one of the leaders here. And isn't that awesome and exciting? And if you were there yesterday, you're still coughing up dust like I am. Even though we put on masks, we did so much work that it stirred up a lot, and it's really awesome. So thanks for everyone who was there. And you get to know people when you're working together, and you build a camaraderie when you're shoveling plaster into buckets to carry them to the window and you're all exhausted. You're like brothers in arms. And a few moments when we would sit down and have lunch and get a drink of water, I thought to myself, I wonder if this is what warfare is like. <laughs> we all come back exhausted and we join, share a meal together after, uh, after doing some really serious work together. So it was really, really Really great. And we, we also hope that you had an awesome Thanksgiving with your family. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays, if not the favorite holiday that I celebrate. And typically Thanksgiving for me looks like going to my parents' house, who are here this morning somewhere. Hi, mom and dad. And when I go over there, mom has made an incredible spread of everything you can imagine. There's turkey and dressing, two kinds, one with oysters, which is weird to me, and one without oysters, which is good to me, and, and mashed potatoes and gravy, my favorite food, and sweet potatoes with toasted marshmallows on top, green bean casserole, baked beans, bean salad, we like beans, pumpkin pie. <laughs> All you can imagine... And typically what I do, my Thanksgiving tradition, after I go over there and, and all the food is out, I have three and a half plates, and, and then, then I take a nap in the afternoon, and I come back for seconds later, which is two more plates. This year, though, Thanksgiving was a little bit different for me. I, I have decided to try and eat a little healthier two months ago by divine intervention. Now, now you must understand, in the past four and a half years, I've put on 100 pounds, Okay, uh, that's not hyperbole, literally 100 pounds. That's like 15 newborns, okay? That's, that's octomom times two, okay? Okay, put on 100 pounds in the past couple of years, and I began to celebrate it. Like, yeah, that's right. Got to make more room, maximize my capacity for four plates at the first helping at Thanksgiving. Or say things like, there's just more of me to love, people. <laughs> There is. But somehow, and I swear it's divine intervention because I didn't really want to, I decided to start eating better. And when Thanksgiving came around, it meant that I couldn't eat some of the things that I really wanted to, like a big plate of mashed potatoes and gravy. That's usually that half plate that I said after the first three, and that's my dessert before pie later is mashed potatoes and gravy. But I didn't get to eat that this year because I'm trying to be healthy because I decided I want to make it to 40 years old and maybe even 55 if God wills. 
And along with trying to eat healthier, I have decided to renew my membership at the YMCA. And, and when you go to the YMCA as a member, you have certain rights and privileges as a member of the YMCA. When you go in, you get to use their gym facilities anytime they're open. I could use their swimming pool, though I'm not a swimmer. Though I have a swimmer's body. You know, whales can swim. Um, <laughs> I could use the track to run around. I could use the basketball courts. I'm not going to because sports are hard, but I can, <laughs> I can do all of the things that the Y provides as a member because I have certain rights and privileges. As a member, I also have certain responsibilities though, like wipe the equipment down after I'm done using it. Please wipe the equipment down. I don't want to commingle my sweat with yours as I'm using the weight bench. So I wipe it down when I'm done because that's kind of an unwritten rule. It's a responsibility as a member. Also, dispose of your used towel in the proper receptacle. The corner of the locker room is not the proper receptacle. There are basins for that to go in. And the unwritten but very important rule, don't make eye contact in the shower room. If we, if we happen to see one another there, fellas, we'll just pretend that we didn't see each other and we won't speak until we see one another the next time, right? right? There, are, there are rules and responsibilities that I abide by. And whenever I go in to the YMCA, I don't just get to walk in through the door into the gym and begin to work out. Before I get to go in, the person at the front desk wants to validate my membership, they, they want to prove that I'm actually a member in good standing. And so I have this little card on my keychain that I hand to the person at the front desk and they scan it and it pulls up something on their computer screen that proves whether or not I'm a member in good standing, whether or not I have a paid membership to the YMCA. Now, I don't get mad when they do this because it's just the way it is. They, they have to validate or judge my membership based on the information. And I, I use the word judge specifically because that's a word that the apostle Peter uses, which is where we'll be today in the book of 1 Peter in the Bible. It's a word the apostle Peter uses to describe the process whereby God validates or evaluates our membership in his family or his household, as Peter calls it. See, Peter's writing to a group of Christians, and if you've been here the past several weeks have we've been studying this book of 1 Peter, you know that he's writing to a group of Christians who are experiencing some pretty intense sufferings, the likes of which we probably can't even understand as they're being killed, some of them, because of their faith in Jesus. And Peter's goal in this last part of his letter, he's starting to round the home stretch, and he's saying, I want you to know that these sufferings that are happening to you, these difficulties that you're enduring, these things that are coming upon you are working to help you evaluate your faith. He says, you will see that your faith is real by how you hold up under pressure how you hold up when the difficulties of life come upon you. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4, we'll be in verse 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, underneath the seat around you is a hardback black Bible. You can turn to page 1016 in that. We'll also put the words up on the screen for you. Peter says in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Funny that he lumps meddlers in with murderers and thieves and evildoers. Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. It's time for an evaluation to take place of the faith of the people who are part of God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, he's quoting a proverb from the Old Testament. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Before we go any further, I would ask you to pray with me like we do every week and ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand what is being said in these words. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful that you are a faithful creator. We're so thankful that we can trust you with our lives, that we could put our souls in your hands. I pray that as we study 1 Peter today, that you would teach us more about your son Jesus and the true trustworthiness that we can find in him. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter begins this last section of this letter, which is what it is. It's a letter he's written to these Christians with this word, beloved. Now, as we go on and, and we're going to talk a little bit about suffering and how, how God's involved with that and how he kind of folds that into our lives. And as we discuss that and consider it, it's important to keep in mind that that this is who we are, what Peter says here. We're beloved. It just means that we're loved by God. We're deeply loved by God. And, and not only are we deeply loved by him, but that when he looks at us, he considers us worthy of his love. Now, we know when we look at our own lives and consider some of our own behaviors and our pasts and the choices that we've made and maybe even still make, we would look at our lives sometimes and say, I'm not worthy of God's love. But it is not our opinion that matters eternally. It's, it's God's opinion that matters of us. And his opinion and his feelings towards us, the emotions that God has for us as his children, is that we are deeply loved by him and we're worth his love. So much so that he would send his son Jesus to this earth to die a cruel death on a cross for our sins. That's how much we are loved by God. And Peter says, beloved, those of you who are deeply loved by God, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He says, he says difficulties in life, these fiery trials, he calls them, are going to come to you. And they shouldn't take us off guard. We, we shouldn't be surprised when they happen to us. These things happen to everyone in the world. I don't know anyone who's never experienced some sort of problem. Now, our problems are not the same as their problems were. As I mentioned, they were being killed, some of them, for their faith in Jesus. We in the United States, we don't suffer for that kind of a thing like some of our brothers and sisters in Iraq do or Pakistan, people being driven from their homes and having to change their entire lives and learn a new language and come to America so they can actually worship God the way they want. We don't understand what that's like, but suffering for everyone is relative, 
my hardest thing is still my hardest thing. And though it is not their hardest thing, it's still a big deal to me. Still a big deal to you, your hardest thing. And so when these things come upon us, Peter says we shouldn't be surprised by them. We shouldn't be taken off guard by them. They happen to all. The Bible in the Old Testament says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Whether you're good or you're bad, difficult things happen to everyone in life. Peter calls them fiery trials. These these fiery trials, he's trying to give us the idea that these are things that God is using to refine us. And the word gives us the idea of gold being put into fire and purified by that fire. And when it's taken out, all of the impurities in the gold are burnt away. And all that's left is a solid piece of pure gold. Peter says, these are the the sufferings that we endure. This is what their goal is for our lives, that they would help to cleanse and purify our faith and help us be more solid in our belief in Jesus. And he says, don't be surprised when it comes upon you, when it visits you and shows up at your door and knocking on your door unexpectedly like Mormons and, and (laughs) except not as friendly as the Mormons and And you can't ignore these things like you ignore the Mormons at your door. You open the door to them and they come in and they they make themselves, these fiery trials make themselves at home. Peter says, don't be surprised as though something strange is happening to you. Now, when I was... When I was younger, I remember visiting my grandparents and, and I spent a lot of time at their house hanging out with them. And there would be times where my grandpa's brother or his sister or some of their friends would just drop by unexpectedly without calling. My generation doesn't understand that. Maybe it's because we have cell phones and, and you can text before you show up. Please, if you come to my house, text before you come over. I I need to put a shirt on and I definitely need to clean up before you come over. But grandma and grandpa seem to always be ready for company. That Peter's saying that these fiery trials are gonna show up at your door and you should be prepared for the company of them at all times. Now, when you know company's coming over, what do you do? Clean the house. You, you get ready because you know people are coming over and you wanna receive them and welcome them well. And Peter says, don't be surprised Don't let them catch you off guard. They're coming to your door. So be ready for them. Be ready to receive them. Now this, he's not saying this so that we would live in fear and fearfulness. Well, oh no, what's the next thing that's going to happen to me? And when one difficult thing comes, we say, what's next? I've been through so much already. Maybe maybe the next thing is gonna be even worse. Maybe it's gonna end me. Peter's saying, not saying that we should live in fear of tomorrow, but he's saying that we should embrace reality, that, that difficult things happen to everyone. And when they come to us, we don't, our faith doesn't have to be shaken because of it. It's just, it's just life. It's how life is. Verse 13, he says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. He says that when we, when we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, suffer, when we experience difficult life circumstances, we become an associate of sorts of Jesus who suffered for us. He understands what it's like to endure physical pain. He understands what it's like to endure mental anguish. He understands what it's like to endure being maligned by friends and family. 
understands what it's like to not be invited to the Thanksgiving dinner. He understands what it's like to not get the phone call from the person that you love but doesn't seem to care about you anymore. He experienced people looking at him and turning the other way because they didn't appreciate who he was. And when we experience those same things, we share in what he suffered himself. He says, rejoice when you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. This is the same language that Jesus used in Matthew chapter five when he's preaching what what many people call the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you've heard of it. And he says, when people persecute you and revile you and speak evil against you for my sake, you are blessed. Now this word blessed that was used in the Bible is different from our idea of being blessed. We think of being blessed as maybe something good or fortunate happening to me. A windfall is a blessing we think of, but, but for their culture in that day and influenced greatly by Greek culture, this idea of being blessed meant that you would be supremely happy in a supernatural sense, not just because you have good circumstances, but it's happiness that comes from somewhere else. Now, typically, the ancient Greeks of the day believed that, that this blessing or this happiness only came to a few people, people who were morally righteous. And if we look throughout the Bible and throughout the pages of history, we could see that the Greek and Roman culture of that day was not very moral. This blessing or this supreme happiness belonged to people who were very wealthy as well, they thought. And if we look through the pages of history, we see that the, the world's population that was very wealthy was very few, even less so than today. And they also believed that this supreme happiness belonged to the gods that they worshiped. And so unless you were in one of these three exclusive groups, you could not be supremely, supernaturally happy. You could not truly rejoice in all circumstances. And Peter, echoing the words of Jesus, says you can, in fact, we can, in fact, experience this supreme happiness that comes from a supernatural source, God himself, when we experience malignment because of our faith in Christ. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. This is another one of those things where God looks at us and sees us differently than what our circumstances might be. If I'm insulted, I do not feel supremely happy. And if you insult me, you may not feel supremely happy afterwards either. But Peter says, when God looks at us, he sees a different us than we do. And when we're insulted for our faith in Jesus, because we want to follow him and love him, God looks at us and says, that's a person who has supernatural happiness and blessings that I'm giving to them because they're willing to follow me no matter what. Verse 15 says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. Now these are 
pretty clear cut. It's pretty easy to understand what a murderer or a thief or an evildoer is. I, I actually looked up that word evildoer in the Greek to see if there was some, some deeper meaning behind it, and the word actually just means evildoer. <laughs> that pretty much encompasses any kind of bad thing. Don't, don't let any of you who are Christians be known as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. He's saying some of you may suffer because of those things. Some of you will reap some consequences of your actions. And for those, we cannot blame God. If we are reaping consequences, consequences for our poor actions, we cannot point the finger at God and say, why are you allowing me to be arrested? <laughs> if you break the law, you'll receive consequences for it. This is what Peter's saying. This, this shouldn't be the life of a Christian. Let none of you be, be uh, in, in suffering because you're a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. And then he adds, uh, or as a meddler, which I think is really funny. And the King James Version translates that word meddler as busybody. <laughs> Murderers, thieves, evildoers, busybodies. Peter lumps them all together. Meddler, people who get into other people's business. People who can't, as my mom used to say, keep their nose to themselves. Keep their nose in their own business. Now this, this word meddler literally means someone who decides to take upon themselves the responsibility for another person's life while neglecting their own responsibilities and their life. And so what they do is they seek after the way that they can help shape and, and conform another person's life to their ideal. I want you to think of people in your mind who, who, who might, you might know who do that. And if you probably go through the list of those people, most of them are probably Christians. <laughs> There's something about us that we, we want to look for other people and make them look just like us. And, and we want to administrate their lives so that they'll become more like us. And we'll want to cause them to do the things that we want them to do. And Peter says, none of you should be a meddler in someone else's matters. None of you should be a busybody in someone else's matters. Now, we know that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as members of his household, his family, it's our responsibility to look after one another and care for one another. If you see me doing some crazy stuff, please let me know. I'm blind to some of it and I need you to show me. You're blind to some of it and you need someone else to show you. But what we often like to do is look outside the church as well. And look at the lives of people who don't follow Jesus, and we want to impose our morals and our values on them, whether by picketing at their funerals or trying to legislate righteousness. We can't cause anyone to be moral. We can't cause anyone to be good. We can't cause anyone to do what Jesus would want them to do. That's his job alone. It has to be a change of their heart through their faith in Christ. There's nothing that you or I could do by beating the truth into another person that will cause them to become a believer. 
There's nothing that you or I could do to make someone's heart change. This is a work of the Holy Spirit alone. And Peter says, don't suffer as a murderer. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't be known as a murderer. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't be known as a thief. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't be known as a busybody, somebody who gets into the lives of other people, especially those who are outside this household of God. Now, what do we do? We share with them the gospel. We share with them that Jesus loves them and died for them, that they too are loved by God and worthy of his love. And it's their faith in Christ, the good shepherd that will lead them to truth, that will lead them to righteousness, that will lead them to godly morals. It is not our words. It is not us pounding it into their head. Excuse me. He says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, this is verse 16, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. If If we seek to follow Jesus in this world, if it is our desire to do God's will, if it is our desire to be known as someone who loves and follows Jesus, we will suffer. Number one, because we're humans and all humans suffer. And number two, because there's a special kind of suffering that comes to those who are Christians and share, as Peter said, in Christ's sufferings. Now, when we share in Christ's sufferings, the difference between our sufferings and Jesus's sufferings is that Jesus's sufferings were for the sins of other people. Our sufferings are because sin exists in the world. Now, this is not to say that I'm suffering because I have sinned. Although we know there are certain natural consequences to our actions. But it is to say that because sin exists in the world and that we're all born into sin. And at some point we will all make a poor choice. And at some point others around us make poor choices that affect our lives. Because sin exists in the world. Suffering exists. And we will endure it. And as Christians, we have to look at it differently from everyone else does because we know that all that we have in this life is not all that there is for us to hope for. There's something beyond what we're going through. And he says, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. Do not feel as though you're being pointed out, even though you may be. Do not feel as though you're being singled out, even though you may be. He says, you don't have to feel alone in this because Christ also suffered as well, but in it, we should glorify God. When our faith in the midst of difficulties stays pure and refined and solid like that gold that's being refined, people will look at us and say, what's different about them? How, how, can they, how can they go through this and, and still have the attitude that they have? How can they in, endure that circumstance or that situation and still seem to maintain faith in the midst of it? And people will glorify God on our behalf. Verse 17, it says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And this judgment that he's talking about is not punitive. It's not to punish us. It's, it's not retributive for anything 
that we've done, it's, it's evaluative. It's just like when I scan my card at the YMCA and they judge my membership there. Now, when I go in, they are not judging my membership based on whether or not I have a knowledge of all of the equipment. They're not judging my membership based on the gear that I have on. If I have the proper gear, if I've got the sweatband and the arm, the wristbands, I don't do that, but that, that, was, that was a joke. That was supposed to be a joke. As, as my fault, the delivery was poor, okay? okay? They don't judge my membership based on whether or not I have the right gear, and they don't judge my membership based on whether or not I look the part, thank God. They judge my membership based on whether or not I'm a, a paid member in good standing, and this judgment that God has for us, uh, this, this evaluation, this validation of our faith that he has for us is not based on whether or not we know all of the Bible verses. It's not based on whether or not we can quote scripture. It's not based on whether or not we understand theology. It's not based on whether or not we do all the right things and don't do all the bad things. It's, it's based on one thing alone, whether or not we have a paid membership in the household the wonderful thing about that is that someone else has paid for our membership in God's household, and his name is Jesus. And what we do is accept that by faith. And through faith, God evaluates our membership in his household. When we believe in his son, Jesus, we're part of the family. And his, he revi- refines and purifies our faith through our circumstances, we get to see how strong our faith is. He already knows. He's not guessing. It's not for his sake. We get to know whether or not our faith is strong. We get to see that we can actually do it and make it and go through it. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? This, in verse 18, this quotation from Proverbs where he says, if the righteous is scarcely saved, does not mean that we just barely make it into God's family. It does not mean that we're scarcely saved because we have to do all of the right things to get in. It reminds me of when Jesus said, the way to eternal life is narrow and the way to eternal life is hard. Now, I always imagined that way or that road to eternal life to be like a tunnel that you have to crawl through or an attic access that most of us could never get in. I always imagined that narrow road to look that way. But the words that Jesus is using, that it's hard, literally, literally means something that's pressed tightly together. And I want you to imagine getting off the off-ramp onto the interstate and all of the cars pressing alongside of you. And you've got to speed up at the right time and squeeze right in. And there are lots of other cars that want to push you off the road. Jesus isn't saying the way to eternal life is a tunnel that you have to crawl through and do a lot of work to get in. He's saying, and Peter's saying that the way to eternal life on that road, there are lots of things that will want to push you off of it. And we have to be mindful of those things. And our sufferings will try to push us off that road. But Peter says, maintain your faith in the midst of it. Because we're not driving the car anyway. 
Jesus is guiding us along that path. In verse 19, he says, that, let, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will. Now this is difficult for some of us to imagine that our suffering would be according to God's will, that we could look at our circumstances and say, God, God wanted me to endure this thing. It's, it's hard to accept that in the midst of it, but, but if we were to poll the room and ask people about the difficult things that they've gone through in life, if, if they can look back and say, that hard thing that I went through, it was really for my good. God, God was in the midst of that. That, that job loss, God was in the midst of that. That illness I had grew my faith in ways that it never would have grown had I not had it. We always could look back in retrospect and see how God was involved. And, and he says, those who suffer according to God's will, God's good pleasure and desire. Now keep in mind that we're deeply loved by him. And so if we're deeply loved by him and if we're suffering according to God's will, we can, we can make the assumption that our suffering is according to his love as well. And that he knows everything that's going on. He understands and he's using it to help us and for his glory. He says, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. When I think of this word entrust, it makes me think of when I go to a restaurant and I sit down and my food comes. Here we go again about food. I'm jonesing. And, and my food is in front of me and maybe I have to get up and, and take a phone call or go to the restroom. And there are people at the table around me and I wonder whether or not all of my food's going to be there when I get back. You know what I'm talking about? And when you get back and that food's still there, you know that you have true friends. If you can entrust your food to them. One day, before I started to try to eat healthy, several of us in the office here decided we wanted some McDonald's. And I had a, a BOGO McGriddle, buy one, get one McGriddle um, coupon. And I'm like, yeah, get me two McGriddles. So a couple people left, went to McDonald's. They came back and I got two McGriddles and I opened one of them and I ate it and it was delicious because McGriddles are delicious. And, and then I opened up the other one and there was a bite taken out of it. Now, I'm pretty sure the person who, who wrapped that at McDonald's did not take a bite out of my McGriddle. They're around that stuff all day. They don't want a snack on it, okay? I still, I never found out who it was. My suspicion is Laramie. <laughs> and we've never really discussed this. I'm just bringing it out in the open right now. And I hope that she will seek me out for forgiveness at some point. <laughs> because I'm willing to forgive her if she asks for it. But, but... When you can leave your food with people and they don't eat it, you know that's someone you can trust, right? Right? Now, those of you who have children and you drop them off at the daycare, I hope that you trust them. I, I hope that you're not just guessing that over time, well, I hope this, this daycare person will build trust with me. I hope that you, you trust them instantly and you leave them with someone that you know will care for them and have their best interests at heart with the decisions that they make. When you drop your children off with someone and put them in someone else's care, you're entrusting them to that person. And Peter says, in the midst of all of life, we can take our soul, the very essence of who we are, and we can lay it before God. 
and we can put our lives into his care. We can entrust ourselves to him like you can leave your food in front of him and he's not gonna eat it. We can leave our lives in front of him and know that he cares for us and loves us because he's a faithful creator. The band is gonna return in a few moments and, and when they do, we're gonna have uh, some time to, to pray and worship again. And during that time, um, if we focus on anything that we've talked about this morning, focus on this, that, that God is a faithful creator, that he is completely and entirely trustworthy, that we can put ourselves before him and know that we are in his complete care. Now, Peter is talking to people whose lives are being threatened. Peter is talking to people who are being killed because of their faith. Peter is talking to people for whom it seems like they have no hope. And he says, you can live as though the person who's watching over all of your life is a trustworthy creator. If he made this thing, he has its best interests at heart. He made us and he loves us and he's trustworthy. He says, entrust your souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And, and I mentioned earlier that when I go to the gym, there are rules for me to abide by. And, and there are people who would tell you that there are many rules and regulations and responsibilities as someone who's a member of God's household. But the only rule that we find in the Bible for those of us who are followers of Jesus is that we would entrust ourselves to him. It's that we would believe. It's that we would come to him in faith and, and, and give ourselves over to him as though he is the faithful creator. It's that we'll believe that we're completely forgiven of our sins because of what he's done for us. And we'll believe that he has our best interests at heart. This is, this is all that's required of us. And then from that, we watch Jesus change our lives. From that, we follow him and, and watch us decide to make different choices than we made when we didn't follow him. After we've entrusted ourselves to him and he begins to care for us, he begins to show us a better way to live than what we'd done before. So would you meditate on that with me this morning? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are the faithful creator. I thank you that we can put our complete trust in you. I thank you that we can know and understand and, and believe that, that you are supremely good. Lord, I pray that as we spend more time today worshiping and singing to you, that you would cause our thoughts to be directed towards your faithfulness and your love. That you would remind us again of how much you love us. And you would give us help to entrust ourselves to your care. Lord, we do love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. 
And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.